Welcome to Heart of a Shepherd, a podcast from Trinity Lutheran Church in Freistadt, Wisconsin. Now, here's Trinity's Rick Adams, Angela Axtman, and Pastor Carl Leyenbauer. Welcome back, everybody. Rick Adams here, Director of Discipleship at Trinity Lutheran Church in Freistadt, in the podcast room with our own Senior Pastor Carl Leyenbauer. Hello, Rick. Good to be here with you. And Angela Axman. Hi, Rick. It's wonderful to be here with you, too. And it's wonderful for all of you to be joining us. We're grateful that you have. We are in Luke. We are in uh, the stories of Jesus's childhood. We have been reflecting on everything leading up to this moment in Luke, starting with the prophecy of John's birth, followed by his actual birth, and then uh, Jesus' birth and being brought to circumcision and then to the temple. And then we get uh, a fast-forwarding in Jesus' life from 40 days to 12 years. Uh, not much else is told us, as a matter of fact, nothing else is told us in the scriptures about Jesus' childhood, and it's probably by design, right? I mean, it's definitely by design. God intentionally wants us to focus on his work as a uh, his public ministry. Yeah. The questions we have about his childhood aren't the kind that lead us to right. know the Lord better. They're more like the like to satisfy my curiosity about yeah. what and, is it like when God is running around. And those are usually yeah. the... It, it's usually in these this portion of Jesus' life that a lot of heresies... There is some stuff made up, yeah, for sure. Some Some pretty weird stuff. So let's avoid that and stick to what God is revealing to us in his word. Which is where we're going today. So, Pastor Carl, why don't you start us off at verse 41. All right. Luke chapter 2, 41. Uh, now his, that's Jesus. Now, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. In the last podcast, Pastor Carl, you and I were kind of going back and forth on whether it was an easy or a difficult thing for Mary and Joseph to raise the, the Christ child, given the fact that he was without sin. Would that make it easier? I think that this particular event, as it's written about here in Luke, would have been one of those really difficult moments for the parents of Jesus. They're angry, but they also know in their core that they have no cause to be angry. Mm. 
and I think maybe confused, bewildered, um, frustrated maybe a little with their lack of understanding. Hmm. I don't know. But, yeah. It's, I mean, it, it, there's a subtle rebuke in the words of Jesus here. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it'd be intriguing to kind of know how they responded to that internally. Uh, but then he does go back with them and continue to submit to them. And Luke, you know, points that out very specifically. He went and he was submissive to them. This is not the beginning of his rebellion and showing them that he's a real man and doesn't need them anymore. This is, he continues to honor his father and his mother, just as in every other way he fulfills the law perfectly. Yeah. I kind of jumped ahead a little bit into the text a little further. Usually we go through these things chronologically. So let me back up a little bit. Uh, as we had stated again in the previous podcast, Mary and Joseph did things in obedience to the law. They raised Jesus according to Mosaic law. And one of the things that was required of any capable Jewish family was to make pilgrimages to Jerusalem three times a year for the festivals. Yeah, three major feasts. And so here again we see Mary and Joseph being obedient to that. So if we're going to talk about households of faith, I think one of the things that we want to highlight here is that we, we do things that God requires in his law and worship. Now, granted, worship was a weekly thing for Jewish families, but the temple was the, the centerpiece of all of that. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like uh, it, this would be a moment for us to remind ourselves that... God's house is always going to be a, a, a central point for worship activity. It's the only place where you're going to receive the body and blood of Christ and mm-hmm. the reminders of, of baptism and all of that, um, and where God's word is is preached and taught in its truth and purity. So, a little lesson for us there. That's that's really good to to reflect on. One of the things, you know, as a parent, you don't want to teach your kids to obey God's word you want them to catch that from you because they're seeing you do it. So Mary and Joseph are doing because they know what's right. They're doing what they're asked to do. And Jesus is growing up and he's just swept up in what's already going on. And uh, for us in our day and age, the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That's the commandment that brings us to worship. And the Sabbath comes around once a week. So every week, Mm -hmm. not, not just, you know, once in a while or when I feel like it's been a while or whatever, it's every week. And just that cadence for your kids to grow up, seeing that obedience in your life, is it sends a, a significant message that the Word of God is not just something that you impose on them, but something that you yourself value and are are living in and within, so that they'll catch it from you. Well, and and not to say that they don't they don't learn God's word themselves. That they're watching us. They're hopefully watching us live it. They're also watching us make mistakes in it. Mm-hmm. But as they are learning it at their level, bit by bit, and growing in maturity in their understanding of his word, they're either seeing it reinforced or they're seeing, hmm, that's not the way I'm reading it. This, I see you doing this, but that's not... Mm-hmm. That's not uh, the way I'm understanding it. And mm-hmm. that is going back to what we've um, been talking about in other podcasts, the power, the the piercing power of God's word, that mm-hmm. it does convict you, convict each person of, of God's truth. And that can happen between parent and child or, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's all part of the process that 
in the end, hopefully what, as they learn, what they see us doing is reinforcing and hopefully not uh, causing them to, <laughs> to question or, but maybe, you know, they can call us out on it too. Yeah. And, and I like what just to highlight what you said too, that they see us making mistakes and they should, cause they will make mistakes. So they need to see, they need a model of needing forgiveness and receiving forgiveness cause they will their whole lives just like we do. You know, given the fact that God has created humans, he also knows how we're wired. And I think most of us, if not all of us, are wired to embrace uh, a certain amount of routine and, and tradition in all areas of life. We do things, we tend to do things the same way. And we, um, within a family, I know in my family, uh, my kids always liked to know what was it like when you were hmm. young or what was it like when grandpa was young. And it would almost give them something to emulate or at least respect. And I'm reminded of that when you look at in verse 42, uh, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And I think God purposely put these pilgrimages into the law because he was trying to create some rituals and customs that people could hang on to and hold on to and use as a mechanism to have conversations and, and remember. Remember last year? Remember five years ago when we did this? And it might seem like every year begins to blend into the same, but I think that's almost by design. So it just becomes a natural part of what you do. Yeah, the, the Greek word for custom here is the same word that we would get the phrase the, or the word ethos. Yeah. So you're creating an ethos. Yeah. This is just what we do and right. the way that we do it. And when you're when that ethos is created by obedience to the word of God, it's an incredibly powerful and healthy momentum in the right direction. To the degree that when you if you miss it or you stop doing it for whatever reason, it's just it's something that's wrong. Right. Yeah. It's like my kids asking for family devotions. If we go a couple nights and we've missed them, Somebody will be like, hey, we, we should be doing devotion today. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So that's a really great lesson for us. I also think that a lot of times, I've also, when I was younger, would marvel at the idea that Mary and Joseph could go that long without even <laughs> worrying about where a missing child was. I think we talked about this in an earlier podcast about how if I, I, I lost my child once in the mall. And it was only like for 60 seconds, but I was in sheer panic yeah. until I laid eyes on him again. Mm -hmm. And there doesn't seem to be much concern at all. But when you understand the context here, they're traveling with their families and extended families, and they're all coming from Nazareth, and they're going back to Nazareth. It would have been enough for Mary and Joseph to know that Jesus is somewhere in this Heard. And, and there's a good chance Mary and Joseph are not together. Yeah. Joseph's with the guys and Mary's with the ladies. Right. And, right. Yeah, so. But I, I would point to this as to make my case that this is an indicator that parenting Jesus had been a little easy on them so far <laughs> that they don't even check, you okay. know, check the box. Jesus is here because he's always he's not going to get in trouble. Where he's supposed to be. Right. Right. He's never okay. not been where he's supposed point to be. Point well so. taken. Yeah. Round two goes to Pastor Carl. <laughs> <laughs> but then they do start to concern themselves, right? It, um, Verse 44, they traveled for a day. They began looking amongst them. And then, you know, I, I can't imagine Joseph's heart rate because he's mm -hmm. thinking, not only did I lose my child, I lost 
God. And here God is expecting me to be the responsible father and raise this child, and I've screwed up. You know, I've, what am I going to do, and how is this going to end? So they go back to Jerusalem, and where do they find him? They find him in the temple courts. The same temple courts that 20-some-odd years later, he's going to be thrashing about with a whip, mm. tipping over tables, and angry. Why? Because his temple is, has been turned into a, a marketplace. And I remember how the, they connected that event to the Old Testament prophecy that zeal for my house would consume mm-hmm. me or him. And don't you kind of see a zeal yeah. in the 12-year-old Jesus here? It was played out with anger in the cleansing of the temple following his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. But here his zeal is just, I just have to be there. I just want to be there. Uh, Like David in the psalm says, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. How many of us can say that from the bottom of our heart? I was glad when they said, let's go to Trinity. Let's go to worship. I mean, that's where we need to be in our in our mind when it comes to what our heart desires. Hmm. Yeah, this, that does take a, uh, a certain death of the sinful nature and yeah. walking in step with God's Spirit. Right. Yeah. Right. That whole scenario is such a tough one because, like, you were remembering to um, losing your child in a mall for 60 seconds. Here, it took them three days once they got back to mm-hmm. Jerusalem to actually find him. Mm-hmm. So that's a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then... When they get there and she asks him, why have you treated us so? And like you pointed out, Pastor, there's a little bit of a rebuke. And why mm-hmm. were you looking for me? Mm-hmm. I'm in my father's house. Well, what was the right way to behave in that? You mm-hmm. know, would it would he have been fine if they had not come looking for him? Or uh, if they had just found him and said, oh, good, we found you. Yeah. Now let's go back home. I, it's it's a... Uh, Kind of a no-win situation. I... You know, Jesus, as he does as an adult, he often responds to people's questions with a question. And he does that here with his parents. Why were you searching for me? You know, you think about his presence in the temple. He, Jesus is thinking, shouldn't this be obvious to you that this is where I should be, where I would be? But then the very next verse says, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Yeah, I, I think there's something beneath the surface here that Mary and Joseph have have lost sight of the fact that he is God's son. Mm-hmm. And so your father and I have been searching for you. Well, legally, Joseph is his father, but Jesus immediately switches to who, who the father is when he says, I must be in my father's house. And Mary's thinking, you're my, you're my child, and Jesus is reminding them. I'm God's child, <laughs> and this is there's a uh, uh, yeah like I said a subtle rebuke, and it's not disrespectful because he's going to honor his father and his mother as the scriptures call him to, but I think Mary and Joseph have lost sight of of who Jesus is, and this is the moment when Jesus kind of resets things for them, and he'll go back to Nazareth and he'll be submissive to them, and he'll honor his father and his mother, and and fulfill the law, but he's reminding them I'm on a mission. I've got it. And I really don't belong to just the two of you. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Which had to be, if he were going to actually say it that way, it'd be hard to hear. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
especially from a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. But I think it's something, there's a parallel, not the same, but there's a parallel in parenting somebody who you've brought for baptism. Because now I'm parenting not just my child, but God's child. And there's great comfort in that because I know God is at work in this child's life. But there's also a sense of responsibility that it's, you know, these children belong to God. And, and it's my, my work is to bring them up to, to know their Heavenly Father uh, over any earthly goal that I might have for them or for me. And so I think, I think there's a little bit of a parallel that we can make as we think about our own uh, parenting. Mm-hmm. And so as we continue on here, we, we kind of get closure to this particular phase of Jesus's life. And Luke basically just sums up the first 30 years of his life in verse 51. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we're back to Mary. She's treasuring up all these things in her heart, um, which is to say she didn't understand all of it, but she's holding on to it mm-hmm. and not forgetting it. Yeah. Yep. And then Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That was the uh, the theme verse for the camp that I worked at, the Christian youth camp. The idea that that's kind of the goal. That's what we're doing with these young young men and women is causing them to increase in in wisdom as they increase in stature and in favor with God and man. Yeah. So why why would Jesus have to increase with favor, increase in favor with God? I was thinking about that earlier today because I thought that was you know it strikes us as an odd phrase, but I think it. I think it means that every step of the way, he is kind of affirming that favor that, you know, it's like, I love my kid and I'm delighted with them and I expect the best of them, but it still delights me to come home and find that, oh, they cleaned the kitchen up after they made dinner or whatever. And it's, you know, just that, like that favor just keeps being confirmed. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the way that yeah. I would understand it. I'm reminded too of at Jesus's baptism, the voice from heaven mm-hmm. that says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So there, there's this cosmic satisfaction that's taking place within the Godhead that we'll never wrap our heads around. Yeah, right. To say that the Father is pleased with the Son or that the Son is growing in favor with the Father. I think we just leave that alone <laughs> and you know, enjoy it. The fact that the the father was willing to send his son and that the son was willing to come to us is staggering enough mm-hmm. for me at least um so but i i i can't uh help but see the humanness of jesus too the fact that um he he experienced everything mm-hmm. that any other human boy his age would have experienced except sin he did not know the feeling of guilt or shame or anything. Even in this moment here where his parents were worried about him for at least two days, right? The first day they, they weren't concerned. It wasn't until the second day. But it doesn't appear that Jesus feels any type of, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to upset you like that. <laughs> there isn't even that from him. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, Jesus should never be sorry. No, he can't be. <laughs> so, yeah, so I guess he should never say sorry. The, um, yeah, that 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 theme though again of increasing in wisdom and in stature, 
um, that highlights something that I think, uh, at least for me, I grew up with kind of a simplistic understanding of Jesus being God. So since Jesus knows everything, how could he increase in wisdom? Mm-hmm. And like that, that was kind of a question for me. And it took me, I'd say it took me longer to appreciate Jesus' true humanity, true being true God, I got. Like I, at least I got it to the extent that you can get it. But to be true, truly human meant that he really, he didn't, he didn't just download all of the knowledge in the universe. Right. Mm-hmm. He did sit and teach and, and, and sit at the feet of teachers and learn. Uh, he did work to memorize scripture. He did experience what humans experience, which is what you were highlighting. And, and so in that way, uh, because he became like us in all every way except sin, he becomes the, the perfect one to whom we can go in our time of weakness and in need because he has an understanding of us. In that, in that same area of scripture that I think you're referencing there, it also says he did not consider equality with God something to be, to be grasped. There were times when, God, when Jesus left his godness on the shelf, mm-hmm. so to speak, and intentionally didn't access it or make use of it. Use it as a trump card. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. yeah, the cross being the most significant <laughs> moment of that. Yeah, I Because of the fact that I'm a flawed father, I, I can't help but go back to Joseph because I just see in him, he's like my personal, other than Jesus, which is the easy pick for hero of the scriptures, Joseph is just that guy for me because he was chosen by God for this role, which is basically three things. You take care of Mary and you raise Jesus, knowing that you're not his biological father. And then thirdly, you stay in the background. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just stay in the background. Don't be, you're not the headline here. You're, you're just the means. And I've always tried to make that my ministry. You know, I've always tried to be a background Mm-hmm. kind of a person. I don't like the spotlight. Um, <laughs> and maybe there's probably more sinful reasons for that, but uh, I can resonate with a guy like Joseph. Yeah, I agree. And I think my dad was that way too. He was not a spotlight kind of a guy. It's That's a heart of a shepherd thing too, to to make it about everybody else except you. Yeah. That, I, I think it's um, Gary Thomas and Sacred Parenting Curriculum talks about the the genealogies in the Bible and how when it comes right down to it, all that matters, you know, as you list these genealogies, is name, 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 name. And and you know, you might remember be, be able to remember two generations back mm-hmm. who was who and what they did. Right. But you go back three or four generations and the only thing that matters is that they produced kids who produced kids who produced kids. So now you're here. <laughs> yeah. And so Gary Thomas makes the the, the observation that in, in a certain sense, my life is just about my children knowing Jesus, and then I get out of the way. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's a background role for sure. So Joseph, he checks all of those boxes for me, and uh, I can't wait to meet him. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. All right. Um, anything else for this particular section of scripture before we call it a podcast? One thing we kind of danced uh, across was the the time that Jesus spent in the temple. I mean, here he is. He's there for days. Mm-hmm. Kind of wonder how he got fed too. Yeah. But uh, he's he's asking questions. He's listening, and that hunger for the Word of God that that exists in the one who is the Word of God is is kind of profound. 
And I think that's also something that kind of calls out to us yeah. too, to be hungering and thirsting to know the word. And so I guess I might be preaching to the choir because you're listening to the podcast right <laughs> now, uh, but just encourage you in that and continue to expect that the word of God is the place where you're going to find the truth and the answers and what, what you're looking for and longing for. Um, Jesus, Jesus did. And so mm-hmm. example for us to follow. Yeah. The authority that he was preaching at, even at age 12, mm-hmm. was undeniable. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing that people noticed about him when he was preaching in his 30s. Yeah. He had authority. And I think, I guess along with that, so they're amazed at his understanding and his answers. Part of what's so amazing about the Word of God is the way that it addresses life. You know, it's Jesus' words are relevant. They get to the real heart of the matter. And so... Um, again, hunger and thirst for this word, you can find a self-help podcast for just about anything, but Jesus' word provides something that runs deeper right. and addresses something more significant. And so, pursue The next time we greet you with this podcast, we will advance 18 years. It'll be 18 years till our next podcast <laughs> <laughs> in the Bible, Bible years. Until then, uh, thank you so much again for joining us on behalf of Pastor Carl and Angela. We bid you a fond farewell, praying God's uh, peace be on you. Until next time in the podcast room, the stories of the heart of a shepherd. I went to almost the stories Jesus told there. Like, <laughs> heart of a shepherd, everybody. See you next time.